T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh yeah, Little Beatles now on Inside the Clubhouse, 10 o'clock hour, and this hour brought to you by Honda CRV. Search ContinentalHonda.com for the continental difference. And Inside the Clubhouse, sponsored by Poogie Hyundai in Downers Grove. Buying a car from Poogie can be a beautiful thing. I'm David Schuster in our downtown studios, and Bruce Levine is out in Mesa, Arizona at Sloan Park. We're going to be hearing from Cubs bench coach Mark Loretta in just a few moments, and then later this hour from White Sox catcher James McCann. But, Bruce, let's go back out to the phone lines. We've been talking about Major League Baseball rule changes, and from St. Charles, Joe's got some thoughts. Go ahead, Joe. You're on with Bruce and David. Hi, guys. Um, Shortening the game. To me, you've got a bullpen full of guys that have been warming up for X amount of time. There's no reason that they're like not loose when they get into a game. So why not just hand them the ball and tell them to pitch? <laughs> hey, Joe, you're, you're on to something that Bruce and I have talked about a thousand times. Because, Bruce, how many p- p- pitches do they usually get when they come out to the mound? Is it like ten pitches? I think it's eight. Eight? I mean, I've yeah. always said cut it in half to four. I understand giving them at least a few because it's a different mound in the game right. as it is in the bullpen. But I've always thought you can at least shorten that. So Joe is on to something that you, know, you and I have talked about a little bit in the past. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I'm with you. I mean, uh, we – the guys coming in, have, having warmed up, just get used to the mound, throw three pitches, and let's go. That's it. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, <clears throat> it's only going to save maybe 30 seconds, but if you, you times that by the number of relievers that come in, I'm, I'm all good with saving three or four minutes. See, the goal here is the games have been averaging between three minutes and 3.05 or 3.06 the last three or four years. The right number is about 348 or 248, David. Two hours and 48 minutes. That's it. If you can cut 15 minutes off of baseball games, it's going to be a huge difference for people paying attention to the game. The pace of the game is going to be better. Uh, Players are going to get used to not stepping out as often. Pitchers are going to be more involved in the moment, not walking around uh, picking out the seat of their pants four or five times (laughs) before they throw the pitch. You know, these are things that uh, people don't they don't have time for anymore. So th- this can be accomplished, and I, I think some of these uh, rules, along with the the idea that they're going to limit the uh, breaks between innings to two minutes, I think will help a lot. 100%. Uh, you know, I know you and the reporters, besides talking to Theo Epstein, you also talked to Kyle Schwarber, I believe you did, uh, a little bit earlier, talking about what they're proposing, or not proposing, they're they're now making it, a $1 million first prize for winning the Home Run Derby. Why don't you lead into uh, what Kyle Schorber had to say to you, Bruce? Well, first, I think they should have a fan Home Run Derby. Oh, 100%. Too, or, or reporters. Reporters, well, you know. <laughs> Just get it out of the infield for a million. We don't count as anything. We're not fans, and we're not, we're not even human in most people's <laughs> categories. But to, to, to be honest about it, I, w- I would like to see fans involved in it. And how, how cool would it be if you got a sponsor that would – that would sponsor something that a million dollars to a fan who who wins the home run derby as well. Nonetheless, 
Uh, Kyle Schwarber talked a little bit about the fact that uh, now it's a million dollars. And by the way, Schwarber was the runner-up last year, if you remember, sure. in a in a great contest with Harper in Washington. Now that it's a million bucks, uh, so I, I asked Schwarber, you know, his initial thoughts about the new rules. I think it's good. You know, it's it's incentivized more for the players, and you know, I, I think it's going to be good for the fans too. You know, maybe be a little bit more. Uh, you know, and do it and, and everything like that. But I can also see the other side of, you know, just people not wanting to get hurt. Maybe not getting hurt, but um, I went by one superstar, and I, I'm not going to name him, and I said, uh, is this incentive to you? And he said, blank, yeah, a million dollars. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, more Schwarber on the Home Run Derby. You know, if you can go out there and win it and you walk away with a million, um, you know, it's a it's a good deal. You know, there's, like I said, there's a lot to take into account as well. I, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be better. I think more players will be more engaged to it and uh, will want to do it. But uh, there's also, like yeah. I said, the fact of possibly getting hurt. You know, you don't want that to happen yeah. at all. Bruce How do you like the new reality show, David? <laughs> Who wants to be a, a, a home run derby millionaire? Did he say a good deal, Bruce? Didn't she, shouldn't he have said it's a great deal? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, again, uh, there is that fine line, and we've seen guys wear down and get hurt in home run derby to the point where uh, they weren't very good for another couple weeks afterwards just because of the exhaustion level. The, the idea that um, more players would be interested – and superstars would come back and go to home run derby, whether they're all-star selections or not. I think that's a great idea. I mean, it it certainly is an incentive for players. It's an incentive for fans to pay closer attention. You know, Bruce, there's always an M.O. behind every decision. So I'm trying to figure out what is their M.O. here. Were, were they worried that their ratings for the home run derby contest, you know, the day before were down? I mean, there, there's got to be some reasoning behind offering a million dollars to these guys. I think it's just bringing more attention to the game and and making sure that, I mean, home run derby is arguably more interesting at times to the fan base than the all-star game itself. True. Um, so now you're bringing, you're making sure that all your stars are involved in that. And that's a three hour or two hour, whatever the length of home run derby is a, is a two hour infomercial for major league baseball. They sit and talk to the guys on the sidelines side as the other guys hit. Uh, you have Hollywood stars there hanging out. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's a real, essential part of marketing of baseball where they know they have those two hours to get everybody's attention, get them all geeked up for the all-star game. And basically, you know, show that midsummer, the midsummer classic and this event, uh, truly, you know, epitomizes what baseball is all about. It's just a great infomercial. And, and Bruce, not only is it a million dollars to the winner, but I think they up the total prize package for all the guys who are competing in this thing. So obviously they want the best of the best. They want everybody in, into this home run hitting contest. And I have a feeling I know who that superstar player who you walked by you're talking about. We won't say his name, but uh, he, he couldn't have been more right by saying it. Blank, yes, of course it is an incentive. million bucks? I mean, even for a millionaire, that's like, all right, I'm going to take an hour and a half here, and I'm going to hit 30 home runs. I'm walking away with a million, or if I'm second place, I get uh, 250000 It's like, sign me up. But I, I, do, I do wish that you know some type of fan – correlation is involved in this too because that would be fun to watch you know some guy start yanking him out uh, 
from the fan side and you know be a, you know a great sponsor somewhere sponsoring both of them getting optimum uh you know viewership on this million dollars that they're giving away to Joe Fan. We expect to hear from Mark Loretta any moment now, but I want to ask you one more thing about the All-Star game because they changed the rules for the fans and the voting. Can you explain that one very quickly, Bruce? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know 100% what it's all about other than the fact that it's going to be more, uh, it's going to be a much quicker process. It's not going to be stretched out. So we're, we're going to see uh, the, the culmination of the voting very quickly. Yeah, I think the fans will have an opportunity to, um, if I understand it correctly, and it's, uh, I don't think they have it uh, totally etched in stone either here, right. but I think they have you know, to vote to get a certain amount of players on the roster and then to get the final starters on the field, right. they have one-day election, which is talk about stuffing the ballot box in a one-day period to get the starters out there. I think that's how it's going to be. It sounds like it'll be a, a little bit of a manipulation by Major League Baseball to make sure the best players are out there, and I, I don't have any problem with that. The fan, It is the fans' game. They should be able to vote for it, but there's, there should be a guarantee that you have the best players on the field. Are they, I th- are they expanding the rosters also? And by the way, we got Mark Loretta who's calling in very quickly, but um, are they expanding the rosters for the All-Star game as well? I believe so, but again, not etched in stone. All right, well, we're going to get to Mark Loretta. He's just calling in as we speak right now, and obviously Mark Loretta is the Cubs bench coach, uh, and it's going to be really interesting talking to him, Bruce. So as soon as we get him, and now we do have him online, so I'm going to let you do the introductions to Mark Loretta, the Cubs right, new bench thanks, coach. All right, thanks, David. We bring in the, the new bench coach of the Chicago Cubs, the, a, a guy that's very familiar with the Chicago area, having gone to Northwestern and married a Chicago native uh, out of Highland Park. Our friend Mark Loretta joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Mark. Hi, Bruce. Hi, David. How are you guys? We're doing good. I just want to relate initially that if it wasn't for me, uh, David, Mark would still be locked in a bathroom in San Diego, California, <laughs> and would not have been able to take this job. So, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I, I'm Thank just you kidding. For the, for the key. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I, I'm. Uh, we were at the winter meetings like four years ago, and uh, one of the one of the stalls in the bathrooms froze. So I had to I had to open it from the outside from Mark. So I'm just kidding about that. It was it was pretty funny at the time. Mark, uh, you know it's been a it's been a great camp. How how different has it been for you to uh, get to know not only a whole new staff but a, a whole new set of players in this short period of time? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's been difficult, Bruce. I think it's been it's been exciting and, and a fun transition. You know, there's, there's obviously people on the staff that I have <clears throat> relationships with. Uh, from San Diego, Chris Norfia and, and Will Venable, and, and uh, you know, obviously Jed and Theo, I have some relationships with. But getting to know the players is, is a pretty seamless. You know, it's uh, it's all about relationships, and, and we're off to a good start. And Mark Loretta is joining us on the Alpimonte Ford Hotline, home of F one fifties for two hundred twenty nine dollars per month. Mark, you've done so much already in this game. You're still a young man, obviously. You were in the All Star games. You you hit three thirty five one season, uh, three thirty five out in San Diego. What people don't know is you have a career ERA of zero in your two relief appearances. I'm sure I'm sure you brag about that to some some of the pitchers in the bullpen. That's right. I see they're going to try and outlaw players from pitching now. That's right. Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, it's it's going to be called the Mark Loretta rule. I mean. Rule, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. I actually get two strikeouts to my name. Yeah, I, I saw that. It, it was in four guys. In the, in the Milwaukee relief appearance, I noticed that. You also managed the Israeli national team, and I followed that team. You guys almost got to the final round. That was really good stuff. So I'm just wondering, you've done almost everything there is in the game. 
you know, so you're well-versed. Talk about how that helps you out even in your current role right now. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it does help me out for sure. Uh, it's been the last you know, nine or ten years uh, with the Padres in the front office. I think understanding the synergy between, you know, the front office, the coaching staff, the players, um, you know, there's there's so much information, as, as you guys well know, and, and to be able to assimilate that and, and kind of speak the language as well. You, you have a language that scouts use. You have a language that front office people use. And, of course, you have the lingo that the players use. So, um, you know, it's almost like being multilingual in some ways. What has been uh, the uh, element of um, discussion and uh, getting to know part with you and Joe Madden so far? How have you, uh, how have you uh, taken those early morning meetings and uh, gone over some of the things that you need to go over with uh, to uh, feel like you have the proper communication going into the games that begin in 12 days? Yeah, I think we have a you know great rapport. I've known Joe over the years, you know, more socially than anything else. But uh, you know, he's he's as real as it gets, and and uh, he's been outstanding. You know, having me, you know, be in just about every meeting uh, with players and then getting to know them, and um, you know, great sense of humor, obviously. So we, we feed off each other in that regard, and and uh, it's it's been great. He's he's so easy going and, and great to work with. Hey, Mark, you know, when, when people think of the role of a bench coach, they think basically, the, you know, it's almost like a consigliore, you know, like in The Godfather. That's a person who's instructing, you know, the head guy what to do here or there and whatever. But that's obviously not just what the role is. Can you describe what, what technically what a bench coach role is? And it's not just the day of the game, obviously, as well. Yeah, I don't think it has an exactly defined role. I think every team is a little bit different. I think if, you know, with a younger manager, you might have a bench coach who, you know, has more input in terms of strategy and things like that. Joe, obviously, been around for as long as he has. He's got a great handle on how to run a game. And so I think my, you know, my role is more about, um, you know, relationships with the players, uh, you know, make sure that you know, communication uh, is, is seamless and, 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 you know, getting guys ready, obviously, on the bench. I guess technically the bench coach is, is kind of in charge of, of getting those pinch hitters and the double switch possibilities together and, you know, making sure, you know, line of card is right and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm just here to support Joe, support, you know, the coaching staff and be that liaison between us and the players, really. Mark, how do you how do you look at the launch angle era? I mean, you were such a, a strong contact guy, even though you, you had power and you hit home runs. You, you used the whole field and uh, there was a two-strike approach. There was uh, a, an approach to hitting the ball the other way and moving, moving guys. Um, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on this era and uh, watching you know, some of the better teams now and how they approach the hitting side? Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying I have power. I've never had anybody describe my career as, as that. But, uh, well, you hit 16 yeah, one year. I had a few. Yeah, I had a yeah. few. Um, you know, I think, I think honestly, Bruce, the, the pendulum swung so far to that launch angle idea that I think you're, you're starting to see it kind of come back to the middle. Uh, you know, what, what that's created is, is just a ton of strikeouts, a ton of empty at-bats. Yes, the power is there, but in terms of, you know, scoring runs, stringing hits together, two-strike approach like you mentioned, I, I, you know, strikeouts drive me crazy, uh, particularly in certain situations. Now, every strikeout isn't equal. Obviously, you know, nobody on in the second inning is much different than, you know, runner on third less than two outs in the eighth inning and, and you have a strikeout. So, I think I think teams now, and I know we are, we're we're, we're definitely preaching uh, situational hitting. We we call it opportunity hitting, which is when you you know, you have a job to do. It's not just about trying to you know fire your ace swing every time, but you're trying to get a runner over, you're trying to get a runner in, 
and I think there's a you know there's a a place in the game obviously for for contact and and, and play in the game you know small ball uh, like it used to be called right but in the, in the same the same essence they promoted these players mark and again if it sounds like a complaint it is okay they promoted <laughs> players on the basis of he hit 25 home runs yeah he struck out 200 times but this is uh, a talented player, uh, somebody that we drafted high, and uh, the rest to learn at the big league level. Um, have I put it in a too general of a sense, or uh, have guys just been promoted because of the fact that they, they've lived up to the minimal expectations of this era? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that to it, but I think if, if that's all you can do, um, you know, you're not going to stay long. I mean, if you can hit you know, even if you hit 25 or, you know, 30 home runs, but your, you know, your on-base percentage is 290, uh, you know, and, and therefore your, your, your OPS is, is seven something, you know, that's not going to play. So I think, um, the game is coming back to a little bit more well-rounded, uh, type of thing. Uh, I, I think, you know, people are, are fed up with the strikeouts, honestly. And, uh, you know, we we're certainly preaching that, that two strike approach. And I, I do think you'll start seeing, um, you know, more hitting and running, you know, moving runners over, kind of that traditional stuff a little bit more going forward. Hey, well, Mark. I hope so. Hey, Mark, I, I, as Bruce said, that you know, you, you played your college ball at Northwestern. I'm sure you got a lot of pride in what the football program is doing there now and the basketball team finally getting into the NCAAs a couple of years ago. Um, but you've also been to Wrigley Field a lot of times during your career. You're coming home, so to speak, because you did play your college ball at Northwestern. And what are your thoughts just about coming back to Wrigley Field in Chicago? Oh yeah, so excited about that. You know, I remember sitting with my my current wife, who's my girlfriend now, uh, our senior year in in college. Uh, you know, in the outfield at Wrigley Field, saying, "Hey, you know, maybe maybe you know I'll play out there one day." And and she kind of made it, yeah, right, <laughs> kind of comment. Uh, but uh, you know, I love Wrigley Field, love Chicago. Um, you know, it is kind of a second home uh, to me now, and. You know, I have a lot of family, a lot of friends there. So, and Wrigley Field is just, just such a special place. Uh, I hadn't been back there in a couple of years, so to see the renovations, to see the the locker room, what they've done there, um, you know, what they've done in the concourses, et cetera, it's just it just made something good even better. One question about leadership, Mark. John Jay is uh, talked about as a leader now with the Chicago White Sox. He was with the Cubs for the one year he was there, and. People look at guys like that and go, well, he's a 23rd, 24th man on a roster. How can this be? This guy be so impa- impactful on a team? Can you explain the essence of what leadership is for players like John Jay and how maybe us in the media and fans don't really understand that element of it? I think it's, it takes a special player who, who isn't you know, one of your maybe regulars or one of your stars on the team to, to be a leader, but there's certainly guys out there who've done that. And I think it's just about being a selfless teammate and, and being somebody who, you know, has the team in mind absolutely first. Um, but uh, it, it is a little bit more difficult if you're not out there every day. Uh, John Jay is one of those guys that, that epitomizes that. Uh, you know, but when you're talking about leadership, I, I feel I feel good about, about the leaders on our team. Uh, I think we've... You know, with the Ben Zobrists and you know, you know, Baez and Brian and these guys kind of taking the next step leadership-wise. Um, you know, they're focused. They're focused on on their job, but they're also focused on bringing everybody else with them. And I think that's a good spot to be in. Mark, we appreciate the time. Welcome back to uh, 
what we consider your home, Chicago, and uh, it's going to be fun uh, watching the Cubs play and you and you and uh, your role as well. Thanks again for taking some time. You got it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, right. Mark. Mark right. Loretta here in Arizona. David, uh, bright guy and uh, somebody that knew Jed Hoyer very well, having worked with him. In San Diego, I think a nice addition for Joe Madden and his staff. Great reputation in Major League Baseball all over the place, both as a player. You know, he's done some front office work as well, Bruce, and, and now obviously in the coaching staff. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier, he's he's had his hands in a lot of different things, and I think he's going to be a great addition for the Cubs uh, coaching staff. Let's take a quick break here, Bruce. We still have White Sox catcher James McCann coming up in about 15 or 20 minutes. We're also going to take your phone calls at 312-644-6767. Bruce out in Arizona. I'm in our downtown studios. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. And the... And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by Chicagoland Papa John. Chicagoland Papa John, bring free pizza this weekend. Buy one pizza at regular price and get a second pizza of equal or less value for free. Use promo code FREEPIZZADAY on the Papa John's app or online at papajohns.com. That's promo code Free Pizza Day. I'm David Schuster in our downtown Chicago studios. Bruce Levine out at Sloan Park in Mesa, Arizona. Bruce, let's go back out to the phone lines. We're going to get to James McCann of the White Sox, their catcher, in just a few moments here. But let's go back out to the phone lines. Rolling Meadows and John. Good morning, John. You're on with Bruce and David. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking the call. You know, being a White Sox fan, I haven't had a whole lot to cheer about. So, I've been keeping a closer eye on what the Brewers have been doing because I, you know, I was born up in the Milwaukee area. So uh, the question I have is about the Cubs. It's not about the Brewers at this point. Um, how can the Cubs, I, I don't see how, how, you know, their bullpen last year fell apart late, you know, injuries and whatnot. And the stopper who I questioned that you should even have him there. He's never done that before, you know, three career saves going into his stint with the Cubs. But when you've got an entire ball club, uh, an entire an entire ball club go into the dumps at the same time, I've never seen that. I have seen players go into slumps, mm-hmm. but I've never seen eight players in the starting lineup not hit at the same time. And, you know, they live on the home run or they strike out. You can't do that. You got to hit the ball. Situational hitting these days is what wins you ball games. And then you turn the ball over to the stopper at the end, and that's how you win games. And I don't know. I think. Hey, John, the, hey, the John, Cubs John, 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 is... John, John, I'm going to let Bruce respond to that because we're short okay. on time. Thanks, John, for your okay. phone call. Well, no, he's right. Uh, and that's why that's how you get three hitting coaches in three years, David. Uh, they, they have not responded well to the hitting coaches or the hitting coaches have not gotten their message across, whatever you want to say. It's the same message they're, they're selling out there right now. You know what? Two-strike approach, work the count, hit the ball the opposite way, choke up. Uh, Chili Davis didn't resonate with this group, so they didn't, they, they didn't get rid of the group. They got rid of Chili Davis. The message is no different now uh, with Anthony Iaposi. You know, it's just the same message. They just think that this guy will be able to relate better to these guys. Ultimately, it's upon the player. As far as the closer goes, Morrow was outstanding till he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had 20 saves, and he was on his way to a great year for him. Didn't pitch after July 15th. Clearly, um, this is a situation that has people nervous here in Cub Camp as to how the bullpen will close out. It was a tremendously effective bullpen 
last year and late late uh, late additions to the uh, bullpen really certainly helped out uh, tremendously as well. But uh, that is the biggest question mark going into the season as to how that bullpen is going to uh, size up, how the injuries are going to impact the way the Cubs uh, come out trying to close games. All right, that's Bruce Levine out in Arizona. I'm David Schuster in our downtown studios. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from White Sox catcher James McCann. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on Saturday morning. 1040, welcome back in to Inside the Clubhouse. I'm David Schuster in our downtown Chicago studios. Bruce Levine out at Sloan Park in Mesa, Arizona. We're going to be joined by White Sox catcher James McCann in just a matter of moments. Bruce, just sort of curious, we're in the final stages of spring training. The season starting, uh, what is it, a week from Thursday, week from Friday, whatever it is next, the following week. Do you notice the, the difference in tenor in the players and the managers and everybody involved with the teams as you get closer and closer to the curtain raiser? Yeah, this is the real important time of the year where the uh, innings are starting to build for the starting pitchers. or They're going into the fourth or fifth inning you know, yesterday. Hamels uh, tried to get through four or five, same thing, five innings uh, yesterday for Giolito as the Cubs played the Sox. It's not always that pretty because of the fact of the uh, the high skies and the ball just flies here in the light air, but uh, getting the work in is the key for, for all the pitchers right now. So you see a different way that they, the managers look at it. You're starting to see bullpen guys being used toward the end rather than in the fifth, sixth, or seventh inning, if they're going to be the back end type guys, so there there is a different concentration the last uh, ten to twelve days of spring training that we're starting to see. Hey Bruce, uh, it's seemingly both these teams, their rosters are pretty much set even going into spring training. But where do you see the ultimate roster battles for those final couple of spots for both teams? Well, for the White Sox, you know, there's there's the the battle for outfield positions and starting positions uh, that. That is still kind of wide open because of the fact that uh, Eloy Jimenez is not starting the season with the White Sox. So left field is going to be his. But in the meantime, you know, there's a there's a bunch of people fighting for those positions. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, different uh, different players, uh, you know, out there looking at it. I don't, I don't think there's going to be any shocking guys. But Brandon Geyer is a guy that's made a, a really good impression here, a guy that's been uh, – uh, on a championship team with the Cleveland Indians. He started his career with the Chicago Cubs, came through their system, went in a big trade uh, with Tampa about uh, six six years ago. And uh, he's got a good chance to make this team as well. So he's he's a guy that you keep your eye on. With the Cubs, um, there's there's a roster situation because, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's some issues with um, – with with some of the people as far as their health goes. And the Scalso appears maybe not to be ready for the beginning of the year. That creates some openings for some other guys, a guy by the name of Adamus, uh, who's a um, a free agent in camp, has made a good impression. Mark Zagunis is another guy that has a chance to make the team on opening day because of the fact that uh, Descalso is an unknown at this point for the beginning of the year. Hey, Bruce, we have a special guest. I'm going to let you do the intro. Uh, the new catcher for the Chicago White Sox, James McCann, coming over and uh, joining the team. He joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, James. Thanks for taking a few minutes out this morning for Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning. How are you all doing? We're, we're doing great. Uh, how much do you have to just jump into the fire right away when you have uh, a staff of 20, 25 different pitchers that you have to learn 
coming over from uh, another ball club. I know you competed against some of these guys, which helps you, but uh, how much extra work is there for a new catcher coming in having to catch guys for the first time? Well, I think the the biggest thing is developing relationships and, and trust between uh, between pitcher and catcher. That's the biggest uh, the, the biggest hurdle to get over um, because you don't know each other, you haven't worked with each other, uh, and really the the only way that you get that that trust and that relationship is by spending time together and then and then in game experience. Um, I did have the the benefit of competing against these guys for the last four to five years and uh, facing them as a hitter, so I know I know their arsenal, I know what they're trying to do, I know what their strengths are. Uh, just from having to face them, so that that's definitely an added benefit to uh, learning the guys and 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 trying to develop those relationships. White Sox catcher James McCann joining us here on Inside the Clubhouse. He joins us on the El Pimonte Ford Hotline, home of F one fifties for two twenty nine per month. James, your nickname is McCannon, and and obviously that that goes towards your strong throwing arm. How much pride do you take in that strong throwing arm? You have a percentage, I think it's almost 40% of throwing out base dealers, which is way above uh, the major league average. How much pride do you take in throwing out base runners and having that strong arm? You know, that's uh, you know, defense all around is where I really pride my game. Um, I feel like that's something that I can control on a on a day-in and day-out basis. Um, I've said it for, for years that uh, you can square up four balls and, and hit four balls extremely hard, go right at somebody, go 0 for 4 with nothing to show for it, um, even though you did everything right. Defensively, uh, you can control, you know, the way you, you the way you receive, the way you block, the way you throw, um, and uh, and throwing is definitely definitely something I take a lot of pride in. Uh, it is uh, probably my favorite thing to do in the game is to throw out a base stealer. Um, you know, hitting homers is cool, and 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 all that is is obviously a lot more flashy, a lot more showy. But uh, throwing out runners is is by far uh, one of my favorite things in the game. James, uh, you've gotten to catch uh, just about everybody in camp at this point. You caught Lucas Giolito yesterday. Um, one scout told me, and you know, this is a guy that I rely on a lot, he said, Lucas Giolito has four outstanding pitches. The problem is, like a lot of young pitchers, he can't command them uh, all, all the time, and therefore there becomes the uh, erratic early innings. What, what, do you, what have you seen from Giolito so far, and uh, – you think that observation has has been accurate? Well, I think that uh, for a lot of a lot of pit, young pitchers with talent uh, like Giolito, uh, that that's the that's the biggest hurdle is uh, you have you have the stuff. Now it's how do we command the stuff and how do we use it to uh, get the best results? Um, you know, there's very few pitchers at the major league level that can be effectively wild. Uh, you have to be able to command the baseball and you have to be able to command uh, you know all your pitches. You can't just you know, command your fastball and not be able to command your off-speed. Uh, you you have to find a way to command every pitch. Um, I think that uh, Gio has has worked his tail off this off-season and made some huge strides as far as uh, uh, his mechanics and and just and just uh, shoring up those. And I think that it's going to translate uh, into the season into some success for him um, as he continues to grow and develop as a major league pitcher. Hey, James, I want to ask you about another pitcher who, who's from the Chicagoland area. I'm talking about Zach Birdie, and unfortunately he had the arm surgery about a year-plus ago, and, and that set him back. I think he would have been on the Major League roster even as soon as last year. Have you caught him out in Arizona, and, and what's his prognosis going forward, you know, not only health-wise, but as, as a, hopefully a Major League pitcher and, and somebody at the back end of a bullpen maybe someday? You know, I I actually have not uh, caught him Um and I haven't seen his stuff. I've just heard uh, what everyone has to say about him, and I think you're spot on with uh, his future. 
Um, and uh, it's it's basically if if he stays healthy and he can he can get himself right, he's going to be a major league pitcher for a long time. James, in making your decision to come to the White Sox, and I know there are other teams that were interested. You knew you were going to a, a team still in the development phase, just like you were leaving behind with Detroit, who was competitive for so long and then went into the uh, the free the the, the 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 total rebuild over the last couple of years. How difficult was that choice for you? Uh, or and uh, what was what was the challenge that you took upon yourself coming to the White Sox? Well, I, I think uh, one thing that that really um, you know, made the decision easy for me was knowing where where the White Sox are in, in their rebuild. Um, you know, you see the noise that they that, that we tried to make uh, in the off season with, with the Manny Machado uh, saga, and unfortunately, we we didn't come up with uh, with him as, as on our team. But uh, we made some some other additions with Alonzo and Jay and, and myself, and, and bringing Nova over. Uh, the, the the difference between what what Detroit is going through and what what's happening here in Chicago is uh you know Detroit's kind of entering that rebuild phase. There's there's not really a timetable as to when uh, when they're going to compete again. Whereas here in Chicago, it, it's it's time. It's time to um, to start start winning. Uh, you have the the young talent here and, and you know the young pitchers, uh, the young position players that are that are really starting to develop and, and produce at the major league level. And uh, you know I had a a first row a seat to to see those guys develop as I've competed against them for the last uh, you know three years when when Tim Anderson came up and Sanchez and, and all these guys are starting to really uh, develop. Um, it, I, I really think that the future is bright here in Chicago and um, it, it's it's time to time to start winning again. Hey James, you already made mention that you know defense you take so pride in and, and part of defense of course is pitching as well. And you mentioned some of the young players. I mean pitching is. For me, it's always going to be the name of the game. Obviously, every every aspect of baseball is important, but if you don't have the pitching, you're not getting anywhere. And in the White Sox, young pitching going forward, this and and hopefully the next bunch of seasons, you got Rodon who's young, you got Lopez who's young, Michael Kopech unfortunately with the injury, but he's still young and he's going to be good. Dylan Cease, who I'm sure you probably have already caught a little bit out in Arizona, he's going to be part of this equation. How excited are you as a player, but specifically as a catcher? that the White Sox are going to have that young nucleus pitching staff that hopefully will be solid for years to come. That's that's exactly right. Um, you look at those arms and, and the ability that's there, uh, that's going to carry this team moving forward. Um, you know, I think about uh, Detroit when, when we had the, that good stretch. We had a mainstay of, of pitchers in our rotation. You had uh, Verlander and Scherzer and Abel Sanchez and these guys that, and then, you know, you added David Price and, uh, we had Drew Smiley and Rick Porcello, <clears throat> so you had a, a mainstay of guys uh, that were in in the rotation every year, um, and that's what that's what's going to be here with with the guys you just named. Uh, and, and the great part about having a, a, a nucleus like that is they develop relationships, they start to compete with each other as well as on the field, and they just continue to push each other to be better. In closing, with you, James and uh, David, and I really appreciate your time today. When you look at a guy like Moncada right now compared to the, the first couple of years where you caught and defended against him and where he's at in his game now, do you see a guy now that's that's going to be attacking the ball a little earlier and not being uh, as passive and as locked in uh, late in counts where he's he's built the count and already maybe missed on the, on the pitch that he wanted to hit? Uh, you see it so often now where you see guys that walk and strike out a lot, but that um, – end up not identifying that pitch that they want to hit earlier in the count. 
Well, you know, one thing that, that's always impressed me about Mankata uh, was his patience at the plate, um, which is, I, I, want, I don't want to say rare, but it's rare a lot of times for young players. A lot of times young players are, um, you know, with the adrenaline going, they, they, they swing and they swing at bad pitches at times. Um, he's kind of the, he's kind of been the opposite in his career, but it's also a fine line. Like you said, you can't miss the the good pitch to hit. You have to uh, you have to, to to get that pitch, and you can't miss it. And I definitely think that part of his game uh, of maturing as a hitter is is that he's recognizing uh, you know the pitch that he needs to hit. Yesterday, he jumped all over a first pitch hanging changeup and hit a three run homer. Uh, so you see that that development, you see that that maturation process occurring. And I mean the, the the physical tools are there. He he's an unbelievable talent, and I look forward to to watching him continue to grow and and hopefully being able to help him, uh, you know, with what I've seen uh, as an opponent and and what I see now as his teammate and and helping that that development process continue. James, thanks a, a bunch for joining David and I, and uh, we appreciate you hopping in on Inside the Clubhouse. Look forward to you uh, being a, a big asset to the White Sox and, and enjoying the ride. Thanks again. Thank you. I, I appreciate y'all. Thanks, James. Okay. James McCann of the Chicago White Sox will be sharing the duties with Wellington Castillo. I think it's a strong coupling that the White Sox present behind the plate, uh, b- both guys uh, into helping the player development, pitcher development at this level. I love a catcher, Bruce, who takes pride in his throwing arm and says yeah. that the most important thing to him is throwing out base stealers because Lord knows you and I have seen too many catchers over the years who gee, they th- bounce the ball in a couple times you, to second uh, base. You brought in uh, the, the important thing. He has thrown out 36% of would-be base stealers since 2014, that's number one in Major League Baseball as far as high percentage of throwing people out. So that is, that is a deterrent uh, that is necessary when you're out there. So, Bruce, what, what's what's coming up this week out in Arizona for both the Cubs and well, the White Sox? We're starting to see cuts. The Cubs cut 15 guys down. They're down to 40 men. White Sox will continue to cut here. And uh, so over the next week, you'll see them get down to 30 guys and then eventually the 25. And you know, again, watching these last roster spots and particularly the health of uh, the teams coming out, you know, you, you have to, you know, the White Sox have been pretty good about not having injuries right now. The Cubs have been kind of unlucky. Uh, they have had injuries to position players like Descalso, uh, to Strope. Uh, Morrow is a, is a, going to be at least a month from the beginning of the season. So there's some unknown. But uh, the one thing you, I, I like about the Cubs uh, is their starting pitching starting out. They might not have Scherzer, they might not have Kershaw, but I think they have the strongest one through fives in the starting rotation in baseball. Uh, arguably, if Quintana is your fifth starter, there's nobody in baseball that has a 13-game winner that's a fifth starter. Okay, so that is going to be the strength. Theo Epstein and company expect more innings from their starting pitchers this year. That's why they kind of started them early. So it's going to be fun to watch. Also, the White Sox young pitchers performing these last 10 or 12 days. David, it's been fun. Uh, we have people to thank, including James McCann, who just joined us for the White Sox, Mark Loretta, the bench coach of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Zach did a great job back there. We thank uh, Evan here in Arizona. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also right on the website every day, Sox and Cubs, 670thescore.com. It's been fun, David. Thank you. Bruce, always my pleasure sitting in with you. I hope to do it again sometime in the near future. And uh, what's coming up next? It's the one and only Steve Rosenblum. <laughs> Don't do that, Rosie. <laughs>
I can't even tell you what he just did. Anyway, we'll be back uh, inside the clubhouse back next Saturday. Steve Rosenblum and myself, Saturday Suckage, coming up next. You're listening to The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.